The place we gather for holidays, family time, meals, and conversation is the table. It is at the table that we share life, share a meal, celebrate family, and make memories. Jesus calls his family to gather at a table. It's a table of fellowship, worship, joy, and life. Something special happens when we come to the table to give thanks. Something beautiful happens when we share together, pray together, worship, and commit together. Something wonderful happens when we gather in Christ's name at the table. Hope your week has been rich this week as you gathered at uh, table time with family. Um, parents and grandparents have a different perspective on the table than uh, children do and grandchildren. Uh, as children and grandchildren, you gather and you, you see all the food and it's fun, everyone's together, but there's something different if you're a parent or a grandparent. The table looks different. Yeah, there's, uh, there's ham and turkey and all that good stuff. But um, when you're a parent or grandparent, you see the people at the table. And your heart breaks because you want them to all love one another. You want there to be peace. You want there to be love. You want there to be this rich joy at the table. Parents, grandparents, amen. amen. It's different. I just have to wonder how God sees a table whenever we gather at it, when we're together. We might have one perspective at it, and he might have something completely different in mind. Today, I hope to help us get to a place where we see the table maybe in a little bit different way. We've been looking at uh, table experiences throughout Scripture, places where there's greater value in being together than there is in being alone. You know, God meets with us when we're by ourselves. He does. Rich, beautiful times of fellowship with Him where He teaches us and encourages us but there's something different that happens when you gather with others in the name of Christ. That's why Jesus would say, where two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there. There's something different when two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus. There's a different experience that happens. We've seen that through baptism this month through communion this month. We saw it last week in the power of expressing thanks together. But today we're going to see something else that we're called to together, and it's worship. And we had a taste of that already this morning. But there's something different about worship together than there is in worship alone. God shows up in a little bit different way. And I want to see the power of that today. I'm actually 
uh, doing something that I don't normally do. I'm going to give you the last verse of the passage we're looking at first. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to give you the, the spoiler version of the message. How about that? You're going to get the end of the story before you get the beginning. But it's, it's helpful. It's necessary. The story comes to us from the Old Testament at a time when uh, the temple was built by Solomon. And I'll, I'll describe some more of that here in just a minute. But there was a very special experience that was kind of for the opening day, if you will. Our, our passage ends today with these two verses. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. Mm. I've just I've tried to picture that this week, what that must have been like. For the people of God to be gathered and to go through this, this rich ceremony that God had prescribed for them. And they do all of it. And then all of a sudden, God shows up in a way they had not anticipated. In a way that is so rich and so great that they have to stop ministering to the Lord because he's ministering to them. Whew. You know, as... Uh, as a pastor and our staff, we long for times like that. I know you do too. You long for the moments where we gather like this and the glory of God shows up in a way that is just richer than it's ever been, overwhelming, life-changing. That's, that's what we long for. Yeah, we like for the service to go smoothly. Yes, we like for it to be comfortable in here. Yes, we like our programs to all work and have something for everyone. And yes, we like for the, the ministry to be organized. But you can have all of that and not have the present glory of God. And then when you do, if you have all that without him, you have nothing. So today, that's kind of where I'm just telling you up front, that's what I'm praying for inside. That experiences like this, every time we meet, would be glory-filled times. Where we say, wow, God showed up and I'd never seen that before like that. I've never experienced him before like that. I'm forever changed because he was here. Amen? Amen. Well, good. And we'll, all, we'll all go down this road together longing for that today. That is really what we long for. In fact, um, let's just pray right now and ask God to uh, meet with us today in a special way. Heavenly Father, we are aware that by your promise from your word, you say you are here. You're here present in this room with us today because you say you are, because you are in all places, but also because you are in us as believers. But God, today we'd ask that your 
your glory would be revealed to us in a way that's different, in a way that changes us, in a way that moves us from being a spectator to being fully engaged and raptured by your love. God, open our eyes to see your glory today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage today is 2 Chronicles chapter 5. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can follow along on screen or your app, whatever you've got. 2 Chronicles 5, a little history here. In the Old Testament, when the people of God came out of Egypt, God gave them a way for them to build a building. It was really a temporary building, more like a tent that they used as they traveled to the promised land. It was called the tabernacle. And this tent, this tabernacle, this temporary building uh, had two rooms within it, a holy place and then the holy of holies. And this place was where sacrifices were made for the sins of the people. In this place, God dwelt. In this place, his glory dwelt. And when they traveled, this place was the center of their nation as they camped. They would travel, set up camp, and in the center was the tabernacle, this beautiful way that they were made right with God and they learned his ways. And central to it was this holy of holies, a place where the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant was placed, not the ark of Noah, not anything like that. This was a gold box prescribed by God, designed by God, given <clears throat> to Moses, the blueprint for, and it was a box that the top could be removed and inside it, one of the items inside it were the broken tablets of the law. And on top, was uh, an edge around it. And on each end were angels with their wings outspread, with their eyes looking down toward the box. So here in the box, in this most holy of holy place, was the broken law of God. The very thing that separated man from God. But God prescribed a way that one man would enter to this one place, a man who had made himself ready, dressed in robe of righteousness, holiness to the Lord, separated, dedicated for this one purpose to enter in so that there could be a sacrifice made to cover the angel's view of the broken law of God. And so the high priest would enter in bringing the blood from a lamb, a spotless lamb that had been sacrificed. And he would pour out the blood on this top of the box, surrounded by a lip or edge, so that when it filled that little area, the angels on top no longer saw the broken law of God, but they saw the shed blood of a lamb 
instead. Covering their sin. What a beautiful picture. It all pictured what was coming. Who was coming? The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world by his own shed blood. And this was the center of their nation. Wherever they went, this remained in the center. Atonement, redemption, forgiveness, sacrifice, right there in the middle. And as long as they kept the ways of God, the atonement of God for their sin, God blessed them. And the Bible says that in that place and above that place and out in front of that place sometimes, this cloud would show up. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it was evidence to all that the glory of God was in this place and that God was there. Just imagine the whole nation lying down at night, getting into their tents and looking over and, yeah, God's here. He's with us. You wake up the next morning, I see the cloud. He's here with us. They knew God was there because the cloud was there. It was this sense of glory, this, this weight of awareness that God is in this place. It heightened their worship. It heightened their desire to follow him. And in fact, it is what led them. When they got ready to pack up all their stuff and they moved, there went the cloud. And they, oh, that's the way to go right there. It was the direction that they went. God directed them by his glory. Wherever the glory went, they went. If the glory wasn't moving in that direction, they didn't go that direction. There's a whole bunch of truth right there just in those few statements. Looks like I could just preach on that. But that's not for today. Let's move on. So, in the course of time, the people of God begin to not keep the tabernacle central. They begin to serve other gods. They begin to get... This begins to get routine, and so they begin to move on to do other things. Oh, this, this looks more attractive right now. Let's try this approach. I know we've done that, but man, look what that other group of people are doing. Look what that nation's doing. That looks interesting. Let's try that. And pretty soon, they've turned away from all they've known and been trained and taught by God, and they're chasing after other gods. And God told them in his law, said, the day that that happens, the day your heart wanders from me, there's going to be a sad set of circumstances that are going to happen. I'm going to cause another nation to come in and take over. You will be taken captive. And sure enough, in the course of history, that happened. Not only were they taken captive, but these items that were placed in the holy of holies and the holy place and the tabernacle were captured and taken away. And they no longer had them. And during those times, the scriptures tell us the sad story of the people of God not following God not having the presence and glory of God with them. God would stir in the hearts of men during that time to rise up 
and restore what had been lost. David became one of those men who set out to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, bring back what used to be once central, bring back the worship and the sacrifice and the atonement of God. And he did that work. It wouldn't be, though, until his son Solomon was in the promised land that they would get to the place where they would actually build another place. This time it wouldn't be a tent. This time it wouldn't be temporary. This time it would be permanent. This time it would be built of stone. This time Solomon would build a temple. A temple to be used to restore the worship of God. This is where our passage takes place today. I had to give you a lot of background just to get us to that point, right? So now we've got some perspective. We've got a little bit of context. We know what's happening here. Second Chronicles 5, verse 2. It says, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is in Zion. It was Solomon's time. This is it. Solomon's been reigning for four years. It's taken seven years to build a temple. It's taken 13 years to get all of the items back and ready to begin the worship once again of God in this new temple. It's a long time. You begin the work of returning a nation to its roots. It takes time. Verse 3 and 4. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. The ark is going to be this final piece that they'll put in place. It's the final piece that will say, now, now we can begin the sacrifices and worship of our God. Verse 5. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priest and the Levites brought them up. Verse 6, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Wow, this is a high and holy day. It's about to be the time of the inauguration of the temple. The reinstituting of God back into the center of life, sacrifice and atonement and the system of priests all back as God had designed and called them to, and they're getting ready. Everyone is involved, the families, the fathers, the leaders, the priests, the Levites who were the worship leaders of the time. They're all coming together. And what fascinates me about this verse right here is that in preparation for this day, they bring sacrifices. If you're going to have a holy day and you're about to meet with the holy God, there has to be a sacrifice for sin. You can't just walk up into his presence without your sin being atoned for. And the nation had been adrift for a while. And it was time for their sins to be atoned for. It was time for the people to be made right with God. It was time for the priests to be set apart. And so they begin the process of sacrifice so great in number that they 
can't even count it or number it. Sacrifice being made for all, for the multitude. If you're going to enter into the presence of God, it has to come through the sacrifice of shed blood. In their day, it was through the multitude of sheep and oxen. In our day, it's through the one shed blood of Christ for us. So I want to talk today, I want us to think today about how do we get to this place where the glory of God falls? Like the, you know, the end of the story right at the beginning. So our points today are toward that end. What does it take for us to see the glory of God again? Our first point comes to us today from this verse, that the glory of God falls when together we are broken over our sin. Before they could begin the process of worship, they knew there had to be atonement for sin. There had to be a brokenness. There had to be an awareness that we have failed. We have sinned. You don't just march up into the presence of God based on your righteousness. You come aware of the stark contrast between God and you. And there's something about it that has to happen together as a group. The scripture said that they were sacrificing a multitude of sheep and oxen for the people. I don't know what that day looked like, but I just imagine fathers bringing a sacrifice and the family behind them and them coming and offering them to the priests. Someone who was alone, perhaps, they're bringing a, an offering and they brought it. Someone who's been through heartache in the past year and loss, they're still bringing their sacrifice. Everyone brought a sacrifice because they knew they needed to be atoned for. No one said, hmm, I think I'm, I mean, this is kind of awkward for me, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to watch. Everybody else can do that. Y'all can bring your sacrifices, but I just feel better if I just watch. If you just watched, you aren't going to experience the glory because the glory came when you recognized, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness, and you came. And there's something that happens when one person does it, but there's something different that happens when a group of people do it. When you all come aware, we all need forgiveness. When a family does that together, when the conversation in the home is about the awareness that we all need the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the atonement of Jesus for us. There's something different that happens when that is the attitude. Amen? And the glory doesn't come until there is that kind of general group awareness. You know, it used to be that um, the church talked about revival. And I know that got to be a, a, a used tired word. 
it was abused, which caused it to be neglected. But it's a word that is necessary. The church is in need today of a reviving. You can find another word for it. It's still the same thing. It needs to come alive again. It needs to experience new life. And it's not going to happen until a group of people say, we need to admit our sin. We come broken over where we've been. We come broken for our people, our nation. We come together. There's no glory coming from heaven until that is where it starts. The passage continues. It says, Then the priest, they brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. They brought in the Ark of the Covenant that I described to you, and they put it in its place. It had a rightful place in Jerusalem that it belonged. It had its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, in the most holy place. It had a place in the center. It wasn't in a closet off to the side. It wasn't in a rental building down the street. It wasn't off in some distant area outside of town. It was in the exact center of town that life revolved around. If we want to see the glory fall again, then Christ has to become that for us. Where he's not something added on the side. He's not a one day a week option if I feel like it. He becomes the all-consuming, got to get there, desperate, that he remains in the absolute center in its place, the holy place, the central place of my life and a group of people's lives. That's kind of our second big point here. If you want to see the glory fall, then together, together, we have to place Christ at the center, at the center And it's one thing for me to do that. It's one thing for you to do that alone. But I'm telling you, there's something different that happens when a group of people do it, when a family does it, and they talk about it. How do we live with Christ as the center? And they live it out. And then a church comes together, and they say, let's put Christ at the center, the center of our lives, not the periphery, if I feel like it, if I got the energy, if I have the time, but the absolute committed center of life. And when a, in a church, when you know that's what you've got, you got someone sitting beside you that's got the same values you do. You've got others around you with the same values you do. You're all working to keep Christ at the center. Ooh, there's some, there's some power that happens in that moment. The glory is getting close to falling when that happens, when Christ is placed at the center, and there's people who are committed to that. I know one of the other things that gets a, uh, a funny rap this day, in this time, 
is church membership. It's one of those things that some churches downplay. And you might even think that we do that here. But our goal is this. We encourage and invite those who have the same passion and vision as we do to join us in the work. You won't see us have you fill out a membership card, but we're going to invite you to a luncheon. And we're going to explain to you what our passion and vision is there. Then we're going to invite you to be a part of the journey and vision with us, to commit to it, to be a member. We're not going to give you a pin that says, I'm in. It's something that's in the heart, right? We'll give you a shirt that says Vertical Church on it. But there's power when people come together and are not just spectators in the stands, but they are they're passionately involved and committed. They say, if there's something happening, I'm there. If the church is moving, I'm in it. If they got a Sunday night thing, I'm in. They got a group thing, I'm in. I got to be around others who have the same values. I want to be about. I want to be about God's work. I want to be about what He's doing there. I want to be in on that. I want to be with others doing the work, and they're in. And and the glory falls when a group of people take that step together. They all are in and going and moving in that direction. Let's continue our story this morning. Verse eleven. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. In other words, they went in, set the Ark of the Covenant in its place, in its place where it belonged. It says, parentheses, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. In other words, they all had scheduled times they were going to serve and work, but on this day, because of the uniqueness of it, they were all there together, and they all went in, placed the most holy piece of the whole temple in its place, and it says they all came out of the most holy place because they had sanctified themselves for this day. They had set themselves apart. They went into the holy place and then they came out. Something was going to happen because they went into the holy place and they all came out together. They went in where God was gonna meet with them and then they came out together. The glory of God falls When you and I, during our week, meet with God in our holy places, and on this day, we come out of those places and we come here together. There's something different that happens when that's the perspective, when all of a sudden that's the goal. You don't come to church necessarily as this limp, weak, struggling, I gotta just make it to church. I know sometimes it feels that way, right? But imagine the difference if during the week you had been meeting with God in your holy place and Sunday morning you got up and you said, I got to get down to church. I've been in my holy place this week and God has shown me some things. God has done some things in me and I've got to get to church. That's a lot different than... (gasps) Amen? In the book of Acts... New Testament, 
They had to set aside guidelines because everyone was coming with a song, with a teaching, with all this stuff. And they said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all have too much that you're bringing. We're going to have to get some order to that. Praise God. It'd be awesome. Can you imagine the power of that? People rushing to get in the building. People say, I got, I got something I got to say. God's done something this week. I'm going to tell you what he said to me this week. I, I got I to tell somebody. Can you imagine just the electric environment all of a sudden? The power of the spirit moving all of a sudden because we came with what God had done. We came out of our holy place and we brought what God had said, done, and moved in us. That, that is when the glory falls. When people begin to come out of what has been given to them and they come in with it to give it. Amen? Yeah, we're getting a different look here about what it means to be the people of God. But I'm telling you, something different has to happen if we want to see the glory fall. I'm not convinced it's falling today in America in the church. If you differ, come tell me about it afterwards and we'll talk about it. I'm just not seeing the glory in ways I see recorded in Scripture, which tells me there's something different needs to happen. The glory falls when together we worship, having been to the table first ourselves. When our gatherings become the result of what's happened during the week and not just fuel to hopefully make it to Tuesday of next week, it's a different look. But this is what we're called to. And there's, within the body, there is innumerable things that are happening. Beautiful things. And you might think, well, I'm just not in that place right now. I'm going through a really hard time. Okay, I get it. You know when, you know when the strength of Christ is seen? In your weakness. So the body needs to know about your weakness. They need to know about where you are about to meet Christ in a new way. And when that begins, how we begin to communicate, I'm telling you, the glory will fall in that moment. When we come, not hiding anymore, I'm having a hard time this week, I don't want anybody to know. No, I'm having a hard time this week, but I'm anxious to see where God's going to meet me this week and provide for me and show me himself in ways I haven't seen before. That's a different way to look at it. Amen? This is when the glory falls. When you worship, having been at the table. The passage continues, verse 12. It says, And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun and the sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen. Now, if you read some of the other accounts of this event, you find out that each of these are bringing their own worship choirs. And that gathered here are not just these three folks mentioned by name. These are just some of those who were present that day. If you look at it, Scripture seems to record that there were 24 choirs that showed up that day. 24 groups of people led by these worship leaders who were coming to worship. They were coming to give their hearts and adore the presence of God. They've gathered for this purpose to give out 
The rest of verse 12 says this, that they were having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. Those sound like guitars and electric guitars today. With them, 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Verse 13, indeed, it came to pass. When you have 120 choirs singing, when you've got people playing cymbals, when you've got people playing string instruments, when you've got people playing harps, when you have them all playing and then the priests are sounding with trumpets and they're all doing so with all their heart, all their soul given to glorify God, you will get a moment where indeed it came to pass. Something's about to happen. It says, when the trumpeters and singers were as one, that they began to play, it almost kind of gives this feel like they started and they weren't all together. But when they all came together and there was one voice, one sound, to make one sound to be heard, they didn't just say, Thank the Lord for No, they weren't hesitant. They weren't hiding. They weren't afraid of what anybody was going to think. They weren't nervous. They weren't worried about their image. They weren't afraid because they'd never done that before. They all of a sudden said, this is their moment. We're about to have the worship of God, the sacrifice for our sins, restored to the center of life. This is our moment. Let's sing. And they did one sound that was heard in praising and thanking the Lord. It says, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, in case you didn't get it, it almost says it twice. When that happened, something happened. When they got past themselves, when they got past their fear, when they got out of their past week, when they didn't come limping in, when they came in strong, when that happens, the glory of God is about to fall. You see, the glory of God falls when we together break out in passionate worship. I don't mean a few in the room. I don't mean the ones trained, but all. When everybody, all of a sudden, says, God is in this place. God has worked in my life. I've got to sing. It's funny watching the grandkids at our house, um, watching them grow from just tiny little infants to Riley, who's two, Ashton, who's nine months. Ashton's in this phase where he's, um, he's doing what people say, he's finding his voice. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they, they make sounds, but then all of a sudden you realize they're making a sound and they hear it. And they're like, Ah, 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 you know, he doesn't know how to verbalize it yet, but he realizes, hey, I hear a sound and I'm making it. <laughs> and I have something to say. Ah, ah, I don't know if you saw him up here during the worship time. Heather was holding him right up here and she's holding him where he's facing out. He's facing the stage and his legs are like, <laughs> and his hands are He's trying to lead Caleb up there already. 
He was, he was in it. He, he was hearing the music and moving in response to it. He sensed something was up, and this is time to move. He was, ah, he can't read what's on the screen. He doesn't know all the lyrics, but he was finding his voice. I just think, man, in a church, we're all different places. There's some who've walked with the Lord for a long time. You found your voice a long time ago, and you sing and you can't help but just express the joy of what's in here. What's in here has to come out here. But there are others that are, maybe they're new in the Lord, and they're still just finding their voice. And they're not so certain about this singing out loud. Not so certain about making a sound that someone near you might actually hear. And I realize that in this day and time, if you've watched, um, you know, American Idol and The Voice and all that stuff, there's uh, lots of criticism unless you've got the perfect voice, right? Kind of makes you like, eh, I'm just not going to sing. I'm not going to be in one of those shows. I don't want anybody here evaluating me either, so I'll just grunt along at a low volume. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. There's power, though, when a people find their voice and they realize, you know what? This is not American Idol. This is not the voice. I'm not sitting before judges. I'm sitting before my God who has redeemed me, loved me, forgiven my sin, changed my life. I feel it here, and I'm going to express it here. I might not get a trophy from the people around me, but that's okay. This is not about how perfectly you sing. It's about how passionately you're moved. And that person on your row that you're concerned about them hearing You don't know what they've been through this week. You don't know what struggles they've had. You don't know what loss they have faced. You don't know what bills came in the mail. You don't know what conflict is going on in their life. You don't know the thoughts that they've had about even their own future existence. And what you do need to know is they need to hear you sing. You can talk about going and witnessing to your neighbor and the guy at work, but there is no greater powerful witness than when you're standing in a group of people who are lovers of God and worshipers of God, and you choose to sing and worship. You're a witness right there to that person who needs some hope and help. And I'm just talking about you finding your voice. If I had some time, I'd talk about you finding your hands. Where you learn to lift those up in surrender, in worship. That you might even find your groove and move a little too. But that's more advanced worship, right? But I'm telling you, 
when a people, a group of people, not just you by yourself, when a group of people break out, they get past all the fear, they get past all their own personality, they get past this past week, and they get their eyes on the Lord. And they say, I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to get past all things I've heard, seen, and done before. This is me now, worshiping, full-hearted, full expression to my God. Because he has made a way to be the center of my life. Amen? Amen. So, it came to pass when all of this happened. It says in verse 13, at the end of it, it says, they were saying this. We actually know the lyrics to the song they were singing. We don't know the tune, the melody, but we do know the lyrics. Scripture recorded them. They were singing, he is good. His mercy endures forever. He's so good. And you've got to know, these are some people that have been through some bad times. They've been through some struggles. But here God was merciful to them, and they knew it. They had gotten past their old ways of complaining and comparison, and they recognized their sin, recognized they should have been destroyed. And now they were just grateful for mercy. Let me, let me take a side track here for just a moment. There's a destructive thought in our day that I think keeps us from being able to sing those lyrics. It used to be called expectation. If you live your life with expectation of thir- certain things happening to you, then you're going to be disappointed more often than not. If you expect to be treated a certain way, you're going to be disappointed more often than not. If you expect things to go a certain way for you, you're going to be disappointed more often than not. But expectations change in the last three to five years. There's another word that describes kind of the culture's mindset today. It's no longer expectation. It's the word and the thought entitlement. We've moved from expecting it to being entitled to it. I should have it. I should be treated a certain way. I should. I really should. And I'm going to tell you about what it is. And that becomes perhaps one of the most destructive things in a relationship, in a marriage, in a home, in a community, in a nation. When an entitlement takes over, you are near the end. What saddens me is there's another, I thought entitlement was kind of like the worst, but there's another piece that's happened lately. We've gone from expectation to entitlement to demanding. It's almost a violent demanding of what I'm entitled to. I expected it. Now I'm entitled to it. If I don't get it, I'm going to take it by force. It's the height of arrogance. Pride. Self-focus. And when you're filled with expectation, entitlement, and demanding, the last word you'll ever utter 
is the word mercy. You won't give it to anybody, and you sure won't see it with God because you'll be convinced he hasn't done enough for you. So for glory to fall, we've got to reject that whole thought thing out there. You've got to run from that. And you've got to keep reminding yourself, we serve a holy, righteous God. We were born sinners. We deserved death. That's what we were expected to have, entitled to have, and demanded to be given. That's what should come when there's sin. And the people of God here in our story recognized God is holy, not us. God is good, not us. His ways are perfect, not ours. We yanked it out of his hands and tried to do it on our own. And we've made a mess. God, thank you for mercy. This is what happens when you get to a place where the glory falls. You're grateful for mercy. Verse 13, we're coming to the end of our passage today. It says, then it was the occasion that the house, the house of the Lord. It's interesting that it words it that way. That's not an error on screen. It is that, that the house, the house of the Lord, it was a place you know, the place of God, it was the house. It was God's house. It was the house, the house of the Lord. Just want to make that clear. It was filled with a cloud. In that moment, the cloud showed up. And it says in verse 14, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. All of a sudden, because of this awareness of sin, this awareness of needing to bring Christ to the center, this awareness of gratefulness for mercy, this awareness of God's goodness, all of a sudden, his glory filled the place. And there was great glory. It defines it here as a cloud. It showed up. They saw it. But it wasn't so much in just what they saw. It was really more of what they Sensed, oh my, the glory of God is here. And they knew it. No one had to say, hey, look, 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 look at that cloud. You knew, oh, the glory of God is here. This is what we long for. Amen? More than a parent longs for joy at the dining table, the Father longs for us to experience his glory. So we might say, oh my, God is in this place. God is here. God is moving. God is shaping. God is changing. God is calling me. God is redeeming my life. God is showing me things. His glory is leading in this moment. That's what we long for. And now we've seen what it takes Hearts repentant, hearts ready to express, hearts 
that are not just spectators waiting to see what's going to happen. Hearts that are not thinking about, hmm, pizza in today, pizza hut, hmm. Hearts that are engaged, active, enraptured by God, given over to seeking Him, worshiping Him, knowing Him. I know that in this life, there's struggles. I know that in this life, there are things that are distractions. I know that in this life, sometimes it's difficult to get into that place. I want to read to you just a few short verses and tell you about a day that's coming. There's a passage in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that describes another table. In fact, it's the last table mentioned in Scripture. It's a table that you and I will be at if you are a child of God. It's a table that's described for us in Revelation 19, and it says this, John's writing says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters, and the sound of many thunderings. It was, it was like water pouring. It was like thunder, and I heard it, but I could hear what they were saying. They were saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. And he describes the table. He says, for the marriage of the lamb has come. The one who gave his life to redeem us is now about to be married. He's been engaged for a long time to a bride. He's been preparing a place for her. He's been making her ready. She's been making herself ready. It says in verse 8, and to her... It was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, a dress for her, purchased by the groom. Verse 9, it says, Then he said to me, John, write this. Blessed are those who were called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Guess who's at the wedding, us. And we're not spectators, friends. We are the bride. We are the ones called to the table to sit with the groom, Jesus, who's prepared a table for us to feast. And in that day, there won't be any, oh, this is a little awkward. I've never been to a table like this before. There will be the shouts and joy and open-hearted, open-voiced celebration of the Lamb. Amen? So today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. It'll be our chance to worship, to do what we've just seen, to pray for the glory of God to fall, to be so overwhelmed with Him that He eclipses everything else in our life, and we Enjoy time at the table. Amen? Amen? Stand with me as we pray today. Father, we long for that day. The day when we will sit at the table with you. And we'll be married to the Son. And forever one with you. But until that day, here in this day, we sing. We sing in faith. We sing in anticipation. We sing in joy. We sing because our sins have been atoned for by the Lamb. We sing because Christ has come to take the center 
piece and place of our lives and our church and all that we are. So we sing today, Father. We, we cry out for your glory to appear here. That we might see you and know you in a way we've never known before. That you might move in our hearts and, and shape us and redirect us and call us and speak to us and teach us. And that the glory would be so great that our focus will be on you and nothing else. Father, we worship you today and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.